Okay, so uh, in John chapter 12, in the first part, we are seeing the last part of Jesus' public ministry. We see the preparation for this last week, preparation for his burial, his entrance into Jerusalem, and all of the attention that uh, he is he is getting and he says that he's there to do the Father's will, even though uh, he is troubled in spirit. And says, you know, I, I am going to be lifted up, and as I am lifted up, all people will be drawn to him. And the people don't understand that. They know that the Messiah is to come, but their understanding, their mindset is that he's going to be their king forever. Um, it just doesn't make sense to them. It would be like saying, you know, the best way to be a runner and to improve on your running time would be, you know, just don't use your, use your legs at all. It just doesn't click in their mind. It's counterintuitive that Jesus would be lifted up, that Jesus would be raised up, that he would uh, die. And he says that uh, a little while longer in verse 35, the light is with you. Walk while you have the light. A couple of comments just finishing up the chapter uh, in verse 37. But although he had done so many signs before them, they did not believe in him that the word of Isaiah, the prophet, might be fulfilled, which he spoke. Lord, who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe because Isaiah said again, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they should see with their eyes, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. These things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him. These passages, these scriptures that are being fulfilled um, are references from the book of Isaiah and That last verse, verse 41, these things Isaiah said when he saw his glory and spoke of him, you might think, well, when did Jesus see Isaiah, or when when did Isaiah see Jesus? And um, if you look at the passages that are being referenced here, Isaiah 6, when he sees the uh, glory of the uh, robe of God filling the temple and being purified of his lips. In connection with Isaiah 53, the other passage that's being quoted, the suffering servant, Jesus, uh, Isaiah experiences the forgiveness and the glory of Jesus um, in those passages. And then, yes, sir. Isaiah 6.1, he starts off that chapter by saying, I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. So, depending on how you want to take the word Lord, but we know Jesus is God, the Father is God, so Lord. So, you know, it said, when I saw him, and then here it says, when Isaiah saw him. So, I thought that's it. Absolutely. Uh, Just uh, connecting those puzzle pieces together of him seeing his need for purification. And getting that in chapter 6 and in connection with chapter 53, uh, that God purifies him through the cross and through Jesus. Um, Verses 42 and 43, um, though short, I think are powerful. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but... uh, 
But because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. Just out of cowardice or perhaps out of seeking approval of men, uh, they are... They are referenced back in verse 25, if you look back there, Jesus says, He who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. These people who wanted to believe yet didn't confess him, they, in a sense, are loving their own life and, and prioritizing their own their self above confessing Jesus and putting their faith in him. Lastly, in the last few verses, starting in verse 44, uh, then Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And he who sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as a light into the world, that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive my words, uh, and does not receive my words, has that which judges him, the word that I have spoken, will judge him in the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. And I know that his command is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. And so Jesus uh, brings a bunch of uh, motifs that we've already seen. He's speaking as an ambassador, saying, you know what, I'm not speaking of my own accord. What God has told me to say, I am doing that. That's what my mission is here. Um, he also brings in the light motif in verse 46. I have come as a light into the world. Whoever believes in me uh, should not abide in darkness. And yes, Tony. Absolutely. He speaks also to uh, receiving him as the light versus rejecting him. And we see that in chapter 1, that he came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as did receive, they were given the right to be called children of God. And so we see that motif over and over again. Uh, again, I appreciate that sort of a book into this part of the ministry um, as we get into the last week of his life here. Um, he speaks in verse 47. Uh, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, 
I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He doesn't judge of his own accord. He comes as a light, but a light by nature exposes the darkness. And those that love the darkness and prefer the darkness are ultimately judged. His judgment is sort of a byproduct of his existence. That's what light does by nature. And I heard it put sort of this way. As a teacher, my desire is not to fail my students, but they have the opportunity to do that whenever I give them assignments, whenever I give them tests. I'm not seeking to fail them, but they make that choice themselves as to whether or not they're going to be prepared, as to whether or not they're going to uh, rise to whatever challenge. And so these people here, they're God, uh, Jesus doesn't come to judge them, but his existence, his ministry exposes their hearts for what it truly is. And uh, again, as a byproduct, there is that judgment of his word. And so that sort of brings us to the, the conclusion uh, of this in the last verses um, in verse 50. And I know that his commandment is everlasting life. Therefore, whatever I speak, just as the Father has told me, so I speak. This everlasting life that Jesus comes to offer is really himself. Everlasting life isn't a distant place. It isn't uh, some kind of thing to grasp. It's a relationship. We've talked about relationship from the very beginning of this book. And it is Jesus himself sort of seeing if we receive Jesus, that is the reception of eternal life. So, uh, that's what I had as far as through the verse, uh, first uh, few verses here, at least the last chapter, of chapter uh, verses chapter 12. Does anybody have any other things before we get into uh, chapter 13? I know we went through that pretty quickly, but I appreciate... Uh, the opportunity to just wrap that up the, the last few parts of his public ministry and so the timer here says 10 minutes and 30 seconds so with, go ahead and I'll let Brad answer that <laughs> I don't answer questions Amen. Just kidding. I, I did think it was interesting that um, there's this distinguishing between Jesus judging and his words judging. Um, I do not judge that person, but there is a judge for them in verse 48. Um The one who rejects me does not accept my words. The words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. It's just interesting how how fine of a line that Jesus is walking here. Trying to communicate truth. He isn't trying to glorify himself. But the father, he was waiting for the father to glorify him. But they're one. And if you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. So really, if he glorifies himself, it's that's that's not 
unlawful, but he's walking this tightrope with the people to show them um, this relationship with the Father and the Son. Mike. You know, these people have been just steeped in the Jewish law, right? That's all that they have known. And now someone comes along and says this, and I think this is also his way of letting them know that he is fulfilling the law, and as one that can fulfill the law of the prophets, he has then this ability to establish the idea of being a judge by the words that he is speaking, because he is speaking all truth. So I don't know right. if I that exactly right, but it's, it's interesting because I think that he's you know, trying to help them understand that it's moving away from this idea of Jewish law. Right, right yeah. Yeah, and into a new into a new covenant. Yeah, and I think it's Romans or Corinthians that talks about the 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 one forming the covenant, the the lawgiver. Um, he has the authority to give the law, so um, he can uh, abolish the law and he can fulfill the law because he's the lawmaker. But anyway. All right, if you would stand and let's read the first um, 17 verses of chapter 13. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked him. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. All right, you can be seated. Okay, um, let, let's notice some things about the timing real quick. What did you notice about the timing of this meal? Okay, 
Say it again. It, so it says before the feast of the Passover, right? Good. What else? During supper. During supper. Michael, what were you I was going to say that uh, the devil had already put in uh, Judas' heart to betray him. So okay. Good. Good. That's a time marker for sure. Yeah, Heather. His hour had come. His hour had come. Okay, good. Yeah, so is this the Passover meal? Tony's smiling. Anybody want to take a stab at that? Right, so there is some debate over that. Um, Matthew and Mark basically say the same thing, and they say it was the first day of unleavened bread, and they call it the Passover meal. Um, Luke says um, it was the day of unleavened bread, not the first day, at least in the NIV, and says it was the Passover. Um, and both of those mention the dipping of oil, which we'll, we'll get to. Okay, so, um, so yeah, I think, um, seems to me that this is the Passover meal. Um, Jewish scholars, some will say, well, it has to be the Passover meal because they're dipping bread in oil. And that's what you, you only did that at Passover and they're reclining, which is what you would have done at Passover. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know that, uh, there's probably a lot we could talk about on that but um i just kind of wanted to make sure that we noticed everything in this text that gives us the markers that um so we'll remember yeah i think that the, the point is that jesus is the sacrifice he is the lamb so what day he is sacrificed on does become important uh, for the timing of it i just don't know if i fully can say one way or the other what it should be sure Right. That's what this would be, right? As opposed to at midnight or not midnight. Uh, at dusk begins the new Right. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. I really think that whatever they he's dying on probably is the Passover, but they can't prove one way or the other. Right. Good. Well, I think you could even make the argument that there is a difference in time from verse one to verse two. Okay. Yeah, the evening meal was in progress. Yeah, so um, who knows um, what exactly chrono- chronologically that is there. So what else did you notice reading through uh, that section? What stood out to you about Jesus washing the apostles' feet? Micah? Right. Yeah. So Jesus, and, and this, this is really the question 
What did Jesus know as he was washing the disciples' feet? He knew God had given him all authority. The sovereign God who can control all of nature, all that is in the heaven, all that's in the earth and below the earth, everything, God had handed Jesus dominion over that. And it made me, Ryan, it made me think of God made man in his own image that he would rule over all of these things. And certainly we have a calling there, but Jesus fulfilled that and beyond by having all authority over everything. Um, And then he knew he had come from God and was returning to God. And so what does he do? He flexes his muscles. He shows who's in authority. No. He wraps a towel around his waist. Nine. I think this is so much deeper, though, than just the fact that I think it's far more than just humility. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. So. So, yeah, I think that's a good question um, that this isn't just a physical washing of the feet. There's there. Jesus says there's some symbology to this. This is a symbol of something. Um, and he says, you may not understand now. W- what else? Yeah, boy. Oh, yes, very good. So, yeah, Jesus knew that he was about to die. He knew who his betrayer was and that the hour had come. And yet he's not thinking of himself or everything that he has to go through. Other thoughts? Yeah, Mitch. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so what what were they thinking? Yeah, Leanne? I can't answer that. Okay. <laughs> right. Right, yes. So his last act for them is to serve and to die. And he says, this is your example. This is what you should do. Yeah. Yes, he serves the one who will betray him. 
We're all in that boat. We're all betrayers. We were enemies. And Jesus, while we were enemies, Jesus died for us. He served us. Tony? Yeah. Right, very good. That's why it's so different with them, and that's why Jesus is laying this down as the first foundation of his special instruction to them that you got to get this right, because if you don't, it's all a mess after this. Good, good, yeah. Yeah, so his, his act, before he gives them authority over a lot of things, authority to heal and to cast out demons he's going to give them a lot of authority and he shows them how he wants them to use it i think too in luke chapter 22 is a parallel um the hour had come in verse 14 of luke chapter 22 jesus and his uh, apostles reclined at the table there he um gives thanks and he divides the bread and all of this um and he even says one of you is going to betray me and then look at verse 24 we get a glimpse into Mitch what they were thinking a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest now, John doesn't tell us what they were arguing over. Maybe because he was one, one of the guys arguing that he was the greatest. Well, I'm the one that Jesus loves. So we know that I will be the uh, prime minister of this new kingdom. But they were arguing over who was the greatest. And Jesus sets this example for them. Thoughts on that? Yeah, Mike. I couldn't help but think of the anointing of Jesus' feet by Mary a couple chapters before, right? Where oh, yeah. all the disciples, except for Judas, because of his greed, all the other disciples were sitting there. We don't, we don't hear anything from them because we have to assume they think this is Jesus. He deserves this. This he's worthy of this. That whole thing, right? But now Jesus takes the total 180 degree opposite, where he becomes. The one anointing or cleaning the feet of those. And I think it goes to that showing that as great as someone is, they are not too great, they are never too great to also be the servant that they need to be to serve others. Right. And so just to start contrasting, it's a lesson to the, to the apostles, I think, especially in Lua, arguing who's going to be the greatest. Well, right. The greatest usually aren't the ones washing feet, but you need to be washing feet. Right, yeah. Yeah, I think. You see that with Peter. Like he says, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not going to wash my feet. 
Because he recognizes he's, he's, Jesus is the master. He's the teacher. He's the Lord. And he knows that. And now he sees this and he, he doesn't want it to happen, right? Yeah. I know. He comes back and says, but if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Right. So it's like, you can only be cleansed through me. If I don't do it, you don't have it. Right. Good. So Jesus' response is, you have to be washed in order to be part of me. What what does that mean? What does that have to do with all of us? Do we also have to be washed to be part of Jesus? I think we all. That's a, nobody's answering that because that question's too easy. I get it, Micah. Uh, just, just to add to that point, only Jesus can do that washing. It says, "If I do not wash you, I can't wash myself. I can't. I can't wash your feet." Only Jesus can wash your feet. Okay, good, good, yeah. Yep. Right, so it is interesting. I would never go to this passage to try and um, convince someone that baptism was part of salvation, a necessary part of salvation. But I would be interested to know what someone who thinks you, you don't have to be baptized, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So... What kind of washing is that, right? So, I don't know. Um, and any other thoughts on that section? If I don't see you, just start talking. <clears throat> um, did have a couple questions. I forgot to highlight my questions. So, um, when Jesus finishes this, he asks, do you understand, uh, what I have done for you? And that's, um, in verse 12, do you understand what I have done for you? Um, what do you think Jesus wanted the apostles to get out of this? And we've kind of hinted on that, but I want to circle back to that, see if you have any other thoughts that haven't come up. It says, do you understand what I have done to you? Okay. And so he has cleansed them. To, and it's, it's symbolic of only he can cleanse them. He has done that to them. And nothing else can. Good. So he's, he's cleansed them. Okay. But it goes on to say that what I have done. You are to do. And so they are to serve. Right. He's cleansed them and he's shown them they need to be serving in this way. He says, you need to be washing each other's feet, right? What else, James? Okay. Right. So what what do you think that has to do with this discussion? Servant being, no servant being greater than the master. Part of uh, Simon Peter's mentality is, Jesus, you you are so great. My paradigm shift is, 
if I'm going to be getting my wa- my feet washed, it's going to be by somebody who is lesser than me. Uh, but Jesus is turning that on its head that if, if you don't have that, if you don't accept Jesus, the greatest, the teacher, the master, as being the washer, it, it's just not going to click. Right, yeah. Um, lest they think that they're too good to wash each other's feet, remember... No servant is greater than his master, right? You can't be one of my servants and think you're too good to wash each other's feet. And they were arguing over who was the greatest, right? Right, yeah. It, it humbles everyone. Yeah, good. Yeah, right. Oh yes. Right. Yeah. So John the Baptist definitely had this um, attitude in his heart way before the apostles did that he's not worthy even to untie the sandal of this guy. Good. Good remembrance. All right, let's read uh, the next section. If you would stand while we read. Starting in verse 18 of John chapter 13. I'm not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I'm telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified. Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took it, took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, What you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. 
By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Be seated. Okay, what what did you notice? What did you see, Mitch? That's a good question. Um, yep. Seems to be a little disconnected or uh, not consistent with their. He gives his prophecy. Peter's like trying to figure out who it is. Jesus tells John, "It's the one that I give this bread." And then he gives bread, yet no one understands the connection. Right? Yeah, yeah. I I had that observation too, studying through this. As I went through, I was like, I, I remembered. The way I remembered it was, okay, Jesus said something about dipping bread, and then he dipped bread and handed it out, but they didn't know exactly who it was. But yes, the way this reads, and I read every translation that I could find, and they it seems they all say, at least John, who asked him to, to say, hey, who is this? At least John knew he gave this to Judas. Um, so uh, other thoughts about that, did that surprise you or, um, yeah, other thoughts, Carrie? The way I read it was they understood that Judas was going to betray him because he said they didn't understand the saying, whatever you do, do it quickly. Okay. So... So he calls him out, everybody sees that, but then they're not making the connection as to what that he will do to betray him. Okay? They didn't know what the betrayal was going to be, how that was going to play out. Uh, They didn't know the timing. Okay. Okay. Other thoughts? Yeah, Mike? I think sometimes we... We catch ourselves thinking these events unfold as quickly as we read them. Right. We read them, right? And so he could have easily said, it's him who I give a piece of bread that I have dipped. And then later in the dinner, he could have done that. And then John is recounting and having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot. So it didn't mean that he said, as soon as, you know, whoever I give this to, and then immediately he dipped it and gave it to Judas. I don't know if that's the case or not, but... That's one of the one of the ways that I think that maybe that it could have escaped the notice of some of the apostles. Right. Yeah. And remember, um, so uh, I think I don't want to jump over this, but um, so Peter is reclining next to the disciple whom Jesus loved, which um, most assume that is the author of the book, the Apostle John, um, and. Anytime you do read John, it's John the Baptist. Um, the author doesn't refer to himself as John. He always refers to himself as the one whom Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved. So 
Um, it sounds to me like it could have just been an interaction between the two of them. And now that he's writing this, however many years later, um, he's recounting this. And it was certainly vivid to him. Um, whether it was vivid to all the apostles or not, and whether they made that connection, I don't know. Other other thoughts? Yeah, Micah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and I don't know if, um, everyone sitting at the table would have known that Judas was being, was considering turning over Jesus for some money to turning him over to be killed. And I don't know what betrayal, what they thought betrayal would look like, um, so I, I don't know if they thought, oh, well, maybe some sometime down the road in this new kingdom, um, Judas is not going to be faithful. I was dwelling on the same passage, mm-hmm. but I was kind of looking at it a little different. I was thinking that Judas still had the freedom to choose up to that point. And once he chose to take that bread from Jesus, when Jesus knew that he would, but he was still giving him the opportunity not to do it. And then the second that Satan entered into him, Jesus recognized it. Jesus knows Satan better than anybody. And he goes, okay, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Right, yeah. Yeah, certainly if you were um, courting the idea of turning someone over to be killed and... You're considering that, and then somebody said, I think you're going to be the one. Then you would either soften your heart or make your mind steal on doing that, right? At least I think how I would, how would I react? I'd either go, oh, he's got me. I better not do that. Or I would go, all right, now I'm really going to do that. In the garden, they still say clueless. Right. Yep. In the garden, if you didn't hear what Boyd said, in the garden, the apostles still seem like ignorant of what exactly is going to happen when Judas comes up. Yeah, Stephanie. I think that the humanity of Jesus, that he was troubled in his spirit over this happening with the church. Yeah, yeah. You see Jesus' emotions. He was troubled in spirit knowing this. Right? Right. And now all of a sudden Satan has this in to Judas and he sort of sees it all, it's it's all coming to an end. And you know, it was just time. Yep. Yeah. And if you've noticed, um, he has been talking about God will glorify me. I I only glorify the Father. That's what I do, and I, I 
at some point I'll be glorified. But in verse 31, he says, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. As if to say, here it is. This is the time I'm going to be glorified. And. Right, yeah. Oh, wow, is it Judas going to betray him? What, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. Well, and, and then, still, they didn't, get, they didn't get when he said, whatever you're going to do, do it quickly. Right? We're just constantly seeing the process. And, then, and they don't really get a genuine clue until he resurrects. And then, they don't really oh. get... The abilities until the Holy Spirit falls on him. Right, after he's ascended, right? Because it'd be one thing if he came back to life and said, All right, now I'm king. Um, everybody do what I say. You guys are my 12 generals or my 12 uh, cabinet officials. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, right? No, 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 where were there? So, I'd be interested to hear what people think about this idea of a new command. Yes. Like, I don't know what that means. A new command, like he hasn't told them this before, they've never heard this before, or were there other commands that he'd given them that they had to follow? Right, good. Thoughts on, on that? A new commandment I give you. Um, yeah, what other commands has he given them? Why is this one new? Mitch? Well, I the way that I've always read it is that the new commandment is that they love the way that he's about to love. So that, that has not happened yet. Um, but that's right. So possibly he's saying you need to love the way I'm about to show you to love, right? Not that he hasn't ever commanded them to love one another, but as he's about to, as he loves them, that is going to be new. And right. Right. Certainly washing each other's feet is an is a new type of command to love. Leanne and Luke. Right. 
Good. Yeah. So not eye for an eye or two for a tooth, but love one another till death. Luke. Right, yeah. This this example, this type of love is never been done before. Um, let me read, let me conclude. Um, Psalm 41 is what was quoted there. I just want to read the very end of that. Starting in verse 7. All my enemies whisper together against me. They imagine the worst for me, saying, A vile disease has afflicted him. He will never get up from the place where he lies. Even my close friend, someone I trusted, one who shared my bread, has turned against me. But may you have mercy on me, Lord. Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, for my enemy does not triumph over me. Because my integrity, because of my integrity, you uphold me and set me in your presence forever. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Thanks for your comments.